0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Thanksgiving. Living. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. When I was a little kid, I must have been like maybe 12 or 13. I started filing a filing system, filing things on Bible topics. I was doing that. I have to understand God called me when I was a very little guy to this calling of teaching his word. It's very clear God called me use the scripture and all. I could hardly read, but uh, it was a call of God in my life. So it, it's significant, I guess. I started, grandma gave me this little metal file cabinet thing with a hinged lid. And so I started filing things, A to Z, Different, not much in the Z for many years. So I carried that. Well, My filing system now has gone from that to 15 five-drawer cabinets, you know, from A to Z, every topic you could think about, and then every book of the Bible has files. And so anything I teach or go through, I always put in there. I have my own Google, you guys. I can just Google myself, (laughs) and I I go in there. It's it's a ton of stuff. So I'm in the T section this week. I'm looking for something it was kind of random anyway, and I saw Thanksgiving, and there were three big files on Thanksgiving, and I thought, oh, that's way too much stuff on Thanksgiving. I need space. So I took them out. I'm going to throw away anything I don't think I'll need. So I'm going through it, and I am tossing stuff, and I, I got it down to, I think, two files. But as I'm coming to the last file, I'm seeing some messages that I had done in the past, and What I saw is something came up and I saw, oh my goodness, this is an old bulletin and in it was a message. So here is our first year bulletin, okay, and uh, this was November 21, 1982, okay, so a day off of 40 years, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary, right? And so I happened to find Calvary's very first Thanksgiving message, the very first message I ever gave here when we started the church. Isn't that incredible? So we're going to teach that very first message again. Is that cool? The very first Thanksgiving message that we had here. Well, you know what I heard? I heard about... Uh, an order of monks who maintained vows of silence except for once a year when they could go to the abbot who was the leader of the monastery and they could answer one question. And so the time came for a monk who had just joined the order to come to the abbot. The abbot says, well, how have things been for you this year? And the monk responded, food bad. The abbot prayed for him. On the second year, the monk came to see the abbot And the abbot asked him, how have things been for you? And he said, bed hard. The abbot prayed for him and he went on. The third year rolled around and the abbot asked again, well, how are things going for you? And he said, robe scratchy. On the fourth year, of course, the time came for him to see the abbot. And he was asked, how have you been doing this year? And he said, I quit. And the abbot replied, I'm not surprised because all you've done since you've gotten here is complain, complain, (laughs) complain. (laughs) Too often, I'm afraid that God feels like that abbot. Many Christians are complaining. We live defeated, discouraged lives. And rather than dwelling on the blessings that God has given to us, rather than giving thanks for what God has done through a year, we're dominated by the things that bother us. We're not thanksgivers. I read that thanksgiving relieves stress, anxiety. It's like it changes your chemistry somehow. When you're thinking not about everything that's bad, but at the good things that God has given to you. And this may be a no-brainer, but thanksgiving, first of all, begins by receiving some benefit from somebody, right? And secondly, it is giving thanks to the person for the benefit you have received. And if anybody has received benefits, it's us as believers in Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have received so many benefits. We can give our holy God a honoring, good, full thanksgiving for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. I want us to remember always there are two great motivators in this world. One is guilt And the other is grace. We often, I would think, a lot of our existence, we live motivated by guilt. Well, I should, I ought to, I should, I'd better. If I don't, oh no, I could have. Or, you know, we're motivated by guilt. And it can get people going. And in churches, in a spiritual place, in an area, guilt works moving people along. Let me tell you, you can guilt... God's people into doing a whole lot of things, into giving, into going, into serving, into all of this stuff. You can guilt trip people. You certainly can. But the other great motivator is grace. Grace may work slower, but it works thoroughly, and it works internally, and it works intensely. Where guilt just gets by. Guilt just does what has to be done. When you're motivated by guilt, you go, okay, I have to do this, I've done it. All right, it's done, goodbye. But when you're motivated by God's grace, when you're motivated by the fact that God has saved us undeservingly, when you're motivated by that, slowly begin to see, well, I want to do these things for the Lord. I want to be with God. I want to be with God's people. I, I want to open the word of God. I want to serve the Lord. Why? Because I want to serve the Lord. So the grace of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, brings us the grace of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about how important it is for us to understand the cross. In the cross, at the cross, Jesus gave us everything he deserved and took everything that we deserve. He deserved to be right with his father, to be have a heavenly home he deserved righteousness, joy, peace. We deserve what he accepted on the cross. Punishment, condemnation, he he accepted the guilt of the whole world. If I have anything to be thankful for, it's the grace of God and what he's given to me. How about you guys? Think about what God has given to us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, I've, I've discovered that one read, way to read a scripture that might be kind of uh, familiar to me is to read it through and to emphasize a different area of the scripture. I want us to emphasize every different word. So let's start with emphasizing thanks. So we're going to read it. Thanks be to God. So here we go. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now let's read B. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now it'll be God. No, it'll be two. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Then it's God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God, what? For his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Reading it that way, don't you feel different things? Don't you kind of see different things? You look at things a little bit differently, don't you? Then when you just read it, one uh, we way, thanks be to God for it. One translation says, for his indescribable gift. Another translation says, thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. If you understand this verse... It's going to make you somebody who is a thanksgiver. And why are we to give thanks? Because he's given us an inexpressible gift. And the gift, of course, is what? What do you say? The gift is what? Eternal life. That's exactly right. For by grace you're saved through faith. It is uh, the gift of God, not of your own works, but all that God has done for us. So it's a gift of God so that no one can boast. It's significant that the word for gift, thanks, are the same words in Greek. The word charis, C-H-R-I-S. Charis is translated sometimes gift, and it's translated other times as thanks. It's like you can't separate God's grace from his gift or the gift from God's grace. You just kind of see what I'm saying? The problem that a lot of believers have forgotten, I think, what they have is all based on God's grace, the relationship you have with God. Maybe grace hasn't been your focus anymore. It's like, I was saved by grace. Look, I was saved by grace here, but now I've grown on, and I'm over here in my experience, and, and it's not about God's grace so much anymore. It's about your behavior. Now, I'm all for good, righteous behavior. We're all for that. But when you think your right standing with God is based on that, your, your experience with God is going to go up and down and up and down, and you're going to stand yourself in a corner because you've been bad this week, and you're going to not feel like you can be around God. You're going to feel like Adam and Eve you know, hid themselves from God because they didn't think God, you know, they couldn't be around God because of their sin. When we're saved, we're saved by grace, And we continue to live in grace, even though our experience will go up and down. Like, I wish when we were saved, look, my life would become perfect. But when I'm saved, what usually happens? You're saved. And then there is this growth. And hopefully the trend of our lives is always this way, but it's the ups and downs. That's when we have to understand That our relationship with God is always based on His grace, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus Christ. The biggest reason is because God says, I refuse to have a relationship with you at all if it's not by my grace. See, it's not anything I've chosen. God says, No, the only way is you needing my unmerited favor. So then you understand, guys that our very relationship with God is always based on his unmerited favor, amen? I'm thankful for that. And rather than make me think, oh, I can live like the devil because I'm under God's grace, it makes me want to live a holy, godly life. The scripture says the grace of God teaches us to abstain from unrighteousness and ungodly things. The scriptures tell us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's always the message, I build my life the foundation of grace so that when you mess up, like maybe you did this week, and the devil comes and he condemns you, right? He tempts you, then he blames you. What do you say? You better have your relationship with God based in his grace. Now, I want us to look at another passage 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Another reason to give thanks. Let's read it. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's say it a little louder. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christians can say that. Amen? We don't want to forget the blessings of God's grace. Now, what is the victory? I'm thinking the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I'm looking at that sermon, I'm seeing the illustration we went to. And I'm going, this is perfect. And so what is an example of the kind of victory we have in Jesus Christ? I want us to go back into the scripture, way back to Second Chronicles 20. Israel had a good kings and bad kings, more bad kings than good kings. At uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, there was civil war, northern kingdom, and then the southern kingdom is Judah. Judah had some good kings, and the king we're going to read about, Jehoshaphat, is a good king. He's a good guy. So 2 Chronicles 20, we're all together. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Muonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat's a good king, all right? So these tribes, these three tribes, they come, and they're not like little armies. These are huge armies. They're coming now to Judah. They're going to come to Jerusalem, the capital city, and move through Judah, and they're going to conquer, and they are going to pillage. These are the peoples that God said to Israel, don't try to conquer them when you come into the promised land. Remember when Israel went from the wilderness, crossed through the Jordan River, and they went into the Promised Land? And God said, "Okay, conquer the peoples, and you take their land." These are the tribes God said not to. So now, all of a sudden, they're showing up, and they want to cause trouble. So they're they're going to invade. Verse two: Some men came and told Josaphat, "A great multitude is coming against you from Edom." From far beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hezazon Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Those of you who have been to Israel, you know, we are on one side of the Dead Sea. If you look on the other side, uh, that area is Ammon and Moab, and in Gedi. If you went to Israel, you've you've been to in Gedi, the springs, you know, where David was. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. That's a pretty good thing to do. You see the enemy coming when you're afraid, what should you do? It says, he set his face to seek the Lord. You're facing fearful times, set your face to seek the Lord. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. He gathers all the people. From the Lord, from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord, and Judah assembled. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So the temple had been built, and they were. Uh, the king was standing in front of the temple above the people, and he begins this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. He says, "O Lord God." God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to do uh, to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house, dwelling place of God. We'll stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So hear this prayer. Lord, we're afraid the king does the wise thing. He says, hey, we need to seek God. And then they pray, and they pray God's promise. Is it God, you said, if we build this house, your presence will dwell here. And if we're in trouble, we're to come and pray and you're going to help us. And now, verse 10, this is what I told you earlier. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Look, they reward us by coming to drive us out of our land which you have given us to inherit? Verse 12, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we're powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You ever feel powerless against this thing that's coming against you? Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. This whole generation is going to see what God is going to do. And now, we don't know what to do. He says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So the spirit of God now comes upon this man and he begins to prophesy. He speaks God words. God speaks directly through him. And so he said, verse 15, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Dismayed could be discouraged. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but whose? God's. The battle isn't yours, it's God's. So don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. No, this is the spirit of God speaking through this man, literally speaking through him. And he has a word for God at this time. And basically he's saying, don't worry. This is not your battle. This is God's. Uh, basically you stand aside and you can, God is rolling up his sleeves and he's going to take care of this one. You know what I'm saying? Saying it's not up to you. This is going to be all God. Tomorrow, verse 16, tomorrow go down against them, and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Okay, this is the wilderness. And there was a kind of a valley, we call it a Wadi, you know what that is? Kind of a, a, a valley that steeply went up, and it was used sometime as a road to Jerusalem. So he's saying, look, they're gathered down there. So I'm at Jerusalem, all right? They're gathered down here. And he says, they're gathering down there and they plan to come up through the desert to Jerusalem. So um, verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm and hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem, Do not be afraid. Second time that God has said that. And do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Let's just stop and think about this. How many times have we heard the promises of God? We've talked about them a lot where God says, do not be afraid. Remember those times that we've talked about that? And they're almost always accompanied with the words, I will be with you. Remember that? Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I'm with you, I'm with you. And here again, he says, don't be afraid, I will be with you. I'm not afraid of anything if God's with me. How about you guys? We're invincible, all right? You will not need to fight in this battle, 17. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, this is kind of like spiritual warfare. The battle is the Lord's. You know, stand firm in the truth, stand firm in the faith, stand firm. Don't be dismayed at this army that's against you. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Well, I thought we weren't going to fight. So why are we going out tomorrow? Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. They just heard the word of God. They're down, not on their knees, but they're down in their faces before the Lord. And the Levites and the Korathites, these guys are just all part of the sacred tribe that led worship and praise and took care of the temple things. So all of these and made up a choir, too. And so they all stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You guys sing like that, with a very loud voice. And sometimes songs hit us in a different way, don't they? Can't you just hear where their praise just swells among us, like, like, yeah, this song, you know? I will sing of the goodness of God. It's not one you could shout out much. But how many of it was right? All your, my life, you've been faithful. How about you guys? I'm singing those words and tears are coming to my eyes. And I'm thinking about all these different instances where God has been faithful. So these, these guys get up from worshiping God and they start singing, shouting to the Lord. Very loud voice, it says. And verse 20. They arose early, Jehoshaphat and the people. They arose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, "Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe His prophets, and you will succeed." Believe in the Lord. God's promise, I will be with you. You believe in the Lord and believe his prophets, the scripture that they had. That's part of what he's talking about. The prophets wrote these things and also that prophetic word they had just received uh, that don't worry, the Lord is with you. It's his battle, he's gonna take care of you. Believe in the Lord and believe his prophets. You wanna have victory in your life. You wanna experience God saving you. You know one thing you have to do? is you have got to believe in the word of the Lord, your God. It always comes back to the word and believe that God will keep his promises. Amen. Mm. Believe in the word and that God will keep his promises. So verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing, this is a choir, sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast loves endures forever. So, who goes first? The praisers. Oh, that's good. The praisers. The worship team. The choir, however you want to look at it. They're put ahead. In fact, they're in their best robes. So the priests and all, they're in their gleaming white robes, and they're stepping forth, and they're praising the Lord. And what are they saying? They're praising God. They're saying, steadfast love, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Have they seen the victory yet? Somebody tell me. No. But what are they doing? They're thanking God like it had already happened. See, that's another key to our spiritual walk is believe the Lord and not like, okay, now, Lord, then thank him like he has already happened, okay? And so they're stepping forward in the faith that, okay, we haven't seen it yet, but we are moving step by step closer to what could be disaster, but we believe the word and we believe the prophets. So we're moving forward. The priests are leading first. Okay, now... Now the next part, remember I said, we're, we're in the wilderness and they're also at a place in the wilderness where they can look down. Here's the dead sea. They're up here high enough that they can look down at the plain where these three groups of people had gathered to attack them. They can look down on them. So they're marching out their army. They can look down and they could, down, could go down the road. But before they can do that, look at verse Twenty-two, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So what had happened? I think what had happened was these three groups. They started arguing over who's going to get the spoils when they come up and they attack Jerusalem and Judah. Who's going to get it? Who's going to get what? And they started arguing about that. And I think that the inhabitants of Seir, they they probably uh, the other two, Moab and Ammon, uh, thought, well, hey, you know, if we get rid of them, then it's just fifty-fifty instead of each having a third. So they attacked them and killed them. But then something happened. They started killing each other. And so by the time the choir gets there and all the armies of Israel, they're looking down and they're going, oh my goodness, my land, what has happened? Well, the Lord said he'd fight the battle. When God fights a battle, he does a pretty good job. Amen? Amen. He did a pretty good job. And it says, then Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness. That's where they looked. And they looked toward the horde. Behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Not only did God say, hey, I'll take care of them, but there's bennies to me doing the fighting for you, right? (laughs) They had so much spoil. So see, the enemy thought he was going to rob everything from them. And instead, it was all flipped around, and it ended up that the enemy was defeated, thanks be to God, who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. They were defeated, and Israel was given the spoil. They were given, thanks be to God, for his indescribable gift, amen? Then the result was the fear of God was put in everybody around, all the neighboring countries. Verse 29, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms, of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, whereas God gave him rest all around. I want to go back and point out a couple of things. One thing is that when you are in the midst of seeing a battle coming, you may feel like verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them This is the point, for we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. How often are we put in situations in our lives, not all the time, but we've had those times when we are powerless. It's like, I can't do anything here. Money can't solve my problem. People can't take care of this problem. God, I'm powerless here. How do you feel when you're sick? You're in the hospital, incapacity, and the doctors are scratching their heads. I'm powerless, Lord. It's all in your hands. And then the next phrase is something that no one says in the Bible any other time. Get this. It's, this is the only time this is said in the Bible. It, he says, We do not know what to do. That's the only time in the Bible. Where someone admits that. <laughs> it's right here. It ought to be in the beginning of every book of the Bible. Amen? We do not know what to do. How many of you have been in that place before? Raise your hand. I'm raising both of mine, okay? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what to do. But what does he say? Finish that phrase for me there in the scripture. But what our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, God. But I'm going to watch you. I'm going to look at what you want me to do. The littlest thing, the slightest thing, whatever you might want me to do, I'm going to be directed by you. My eyes are on you. See, the Lord doesn't always direct us in huge ways. It just might be a little way. He might just look at us. Our eyes are on you. And the Lord just goes like this. Hey, just a little. And we move a little bit and that's that's everything. I'm not powerless anymore. Even when I feel powerless, who is with me? God is with me, so do not fear, for I'm with you. The Lord will fight our battles. Yes, we have to stand firm. We need to take our position, like the scripture said here. Take your positions. Stand firm. But believe the word of God. Believe his prophets. Believe his testimonies. Believe his promises. And victory is on the way. They thank the Lord before they saw the victory. To have an attitude of thanksgiving when people may say, Why are you so thankful right now? You don't have anything to be thankful about. Your life's falling apart. What are you thankful for? Well, as a believer, you can enumerate a whole lot of things. I mean, we've talked about some already, right? We always have something to be thankful for. Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. Yeah. Like the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us
1: at 602 866 That's 602